It's good to, uh, to be together today, and for those of you, you who are joining us online, we just want to welcome you as well. I'm so glad that you have joined us. Uh, this is the last Sunday of this series that we have called Threats, where we have been looking at uh, this growing group of Jesus followers and some of the efforts that, that have been, um, that have been for, put forth to try to slow down or even stop this momentum that's happening. And we've seen these, these come primarily from the religious leaders where they have threatened, they have imprisoned, and they have beaten this group of Jesus followers to try to get them to stop spreading this good news. And even some threats that have happened with, from within the group itself where we've seen people who have stepped in to try to, be, to, try to claim or to do th- more than they really are. And also even the, the hints of division within the, the church itself, this young group of Jesus followers that, that had threatened the church. And last week, Dustin talked about the fact that there was, that the apostles, the leaders of this new group of, of Jesus followers had decided that it would be wise to appoint this group of seven men that would oversee the distribution of food to make sure that it was fairly distributed among everyone who had a need. And today, Luke, the author of this book that we have been in, this book of Acts, which is about the origin of the church, is going to focus in on one of these men, a man named Stephen. And we're going to see how the Holy Spirit works through Stephen, how he speaks through Stephen and ultimately what happens as a result of this. And I'm just going to give you a fair warning this morning. We are going to spend a ton of the time, a majority of the time that I'm speaking this morning just reading Scripture. It's a huge passage. And so I want to dive into it. The reason that I decided that we would just go ahead and read through this and why I think it's super important, one is because anything that's written in God's Word is far more important than anything that I will say. And the second is this, I think sometimes it's really important to understand how the Old Testament, like what happens in the history of God's people, how it ties into and really points to everything that we're seeing now. And so we're going to kind of take a look uh, at both of those things this morning. And so we're going to be on page 36 of the Acts Journals. If you don't have one, I would just welcome you to take one that's under the seat in front of you. Page 36, Acts Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, this was another way of saying that he was full of God's spirit, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So you have this group of, of, of Jewish Believers that are part of the synagogue that are disputing with what Stephen is saying. But, but they could not withstand the wisdom of the spirit with which we are speaking. They couldn't argue with him. Like every time they would try to argue or dispute what he was saying, the, the spirit in Stephen would produce something that would make it like we, we can't argue with you. So what did they do? Then they secretly instigated men. So they, they found some people that would say some bad things about them about Stephen, who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, which is the temple, and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, 
and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And, and so basically you have this group of people that are threatened by what Stephen is saying, that they're probably losing people from the synagogue into this new movement of Jesus' followers. And they can't argue with them, and so their decision is to bring him before the council. They, they've set up false witnesses. They accuse him of saying things that he never said. And really, what is at the heart of this, if you listen to what the accusations are, they're, they're saying that he's saying bad things about Moses and about the temple and about the law and all of these different things. And, and really what it boils down to is, you know, Stephen is shaking their sense of, of, of what they know, like the things that they think they control, their position, their influence, their power. Like that's what's being threatened here. And Stephen then is given the chance to defend himself. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do through Stephen, when the Holy Spirit is speaking through Stephen to this group of religious leaders, he is going to show how God has been working throughout all of history to point people to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. And God has never confined himself to a time or a place. God is working to accomplish his plan, even though this group of people historically has resisted him all the way. And as we read through these passages, I want you to pay close attention to how God is working and moving in each of these, each of these people that he talks about. Acts chapter, one, or Acts chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, are these things so? So he's asking Stephen to defend himself. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go to a land that I will show you. And then he went out to the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land where you are now living. And so basically he starts out by telling the story of Abraham, of God, God came to Abraham and Sarah, and they're advanced in years, and God says, you know what? I'm going to do great things through, through you, Abraham. I'm ultimately going to save, I'm, I'm kind of like paraphrasing, but I'm going to save the world through you. And he's foreshadowing what's going to come in the person of Jesus. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, and that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others. He's talking about what's going to happen with the, the Israelites when they're in Egypt who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve. And God said, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And then he gives Abraham a son. His son is Isaac. Abraham becomes the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac becomes the father of Jacob, and Jacob the twelve patriarchs. So he's basically painting a picture. He's starting to paint the lineage of how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then Jacob has twelve sons. 
And that's where he's going to pick up now. He's going to talk about the patriarchs, which are these 12 sons who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Acts chapter 7. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, who's one of the sons, sold him into Egypt. So get this. So Joseph's brothers, his 11 brothers, decide they don't really like him. They're jealous of him because he's, the, he's daddy's favorite. And so they sell him into slavery. <laughs> Great brothers. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there was a famine, there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit, and on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, because they didn't know who he was at the time, and Joseph's, Joseph's family came, to know, uh, came known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. And so basically he's outlining how Israel got into Egypt and how God used Joseph even though he was sold into slavery, even though he spent some time in prison, he was eventually elevated to be second in command. And he would have this dream that God gave him so that he knew that a famine was coming, so that he could prepare. And, and, and Egypt is the only country, the only people group that is prepared for this famine. All of the people of the region are dependent upon Egypt for grain, including Joseph's family. And so they have to come down. And they have to beg for grain to be able to survive. And Joseph provides for them. And he forgives his brothers. And he allows them to live in the land. And Joseph, it's interesting because Joseph's story here, Joseph's story is really a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. I mean, Joseph, Jesus was also rejected by his own people. Joseph's rejected by his brothers. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Joseph is the one who saves his own family. It points directly to Jesus. And, and there's this key verse that's in this whole, um, this whole passage. It's found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And it's Joseph speaking to his brothers. And he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph himself realized that even though all of these bad things happened to him, God used them to bring about good, bring about his purpose. And then he goes on, and he picks up right after this in Acts chapter 7, so he's going to continue with the history of Israel. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, and there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. So basically, what happens is, while they're still in Egypt, the, the Israelites are increasing exponentially fast. 
And the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, is threatened by them, so his decision is to enslave them first, and then they just continue to multiply and get stronger. And so his idea is to slow this down. He's going to begin to kill all of the male infants as they're born to try to reduce the population. And that's what's happening here. And at this time, Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, in other words, when it was about time he was discovered he was going to be killed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was uh, instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the Israelites, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses is like, "Uh uh-oh, I've been found out. And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became father to two sons. Forty more years will pass. Now, when 40 years has passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of a bush, in uh, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals on your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. Now And now come, I'm sending you to Egypt. Now come, I will send you to Egypt. So basically, here's the call of Moses. I mean, he's tending sheep, probably his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And he gets the call. God's saying, I'm calling you to be the one who will help bring my people out of slavery. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. He's predicting, Moses predicted the coming of Jesus. This is the one, again, speaking of Moses, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us the laws Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust them aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. 
As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. You see, even though God had delivered the the people out of slavery from Egypt and had followed Moses, they didn't trust God. They didn't trust Moses, and so they made their own God. They made their own way. They refused to follow him. And again, this is a picture This is a foreshadowing. Moses' story is a foreshadowing of who Jesus is going to be. Moses is rejected by his own people and yet still delivers them from slavery. And even though he delivers them from slavery, the people still reject him. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came, he delivers us from the slavery of sin. And still people will reject him. And so he kind of turns a little bit and he talks about what God's response to all of this is in Acts chapter 7 verse 42. He says this, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. That's not God. The host of heaven refers to someone else. As it is written in the books of the prophets, did you bring to me the slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years of the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, and the star of your god, Rephem. These are false gods. The images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So the Israelites just continued to serve and worship false gods. They continued to reject who God was. And then he kind of turns his focus a little bit more to talk about this idea that You know, the temple is God's holy place. Like, God can only be found in the temple. He says this, Our fathers had the tent of witness, which was the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It's basically a a portable tent. Uh, just Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua, into the promised land with Joshua. When they... uh, dispossessed the nations that drove, that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for God, the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. It was Solomon who would ultimately build the temple. Yet the Most High God does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Basically, God is saying, I can't be limited. I can't be controlled. You cannot restrict me to a place or even reduce me to how you think I should act. I am God. And then... And then the Holy Spirit just kind of lets loose. Acts 7, verse 51. He says this through Stephen. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist me. As your fathers did, so do you. 
which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, when this council of of religious leaders hear these things, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him, which is just a really odd response. They ground their teeth at him. Then he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. The Spirit tells it to them as it is. God has been working to bring Jesus. Jesus has come, you killed him, and you're still missing it. Just like your fathers before you missed it. And they can't contain themselves. And they just go crazy and they drag him out and they stone him. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, and they made great lamentation over him. They wept for him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. There's a lot of things going on here. And there are a lot of things that I could say about this passage, but but here is the simple thing that I think is the overarching part that I want us to hear this morning. And I want this to really sink in this morning, because I know we say this a lot, but I want you to really hear this. I want you to listen to this. I want you to understand this and live by this. Here is the message of this passage. God is in control. God is in control. God has a plan. He has had a plan from the very, very beginning, from before the creation of the world. Listen to this. God is not bound by time. God exists outside of time. I don't understand that. I don't understand how it works because I can only think limited within time. But God exists outside of that. What that means is God knew, God knew, get this, God knew that Adam and Eve would reject him, and he created them anyway. God knew that the only way to restore what was broken by sin would be to sacrifice himself through the person of Jesus on a cross. And he knew that people would still reject him. God knows how it all began, and God knows how it all will end. And he knows everything in between. 
He's not surprised by anything. Nothing catches God off guard. And and God knows how all of this stuff works together. Like he knows how it all fits together. And, and, And nothing, nothing, nothing will stop his plan. There's a verse that I hear quoted a lot, and sometimes I think it's a verse that gets a little bit misunderstood, and it's found in Romans chapter 8, and it's verse 28. And and Paul says this, he says, and we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And this verse really is saying almost the exact same thing that, that, that Joseph said in, in, that, in that Genesis 50. That even though you intended this for evil, God intended this for good. And the way that this verse gets, which gets mistranslated or misunderstood or twisted is sometimes we interpret this verse to mean that you will get what you want, when you want, and how you want it. Like that's God's good for you. Like that's how God works. That's how good things happen. But, but that doesn't say that God lets good things happen to his people. That's not what this verse says. At least not in the sense that oftentimes we interpret good. You see, here's the fact. Evil things still happen. Evil things still happen to everyone. This world is still infected with sin and the effects of sin. And and no one is immune from the brokenness of this world. Illness still happens. People doing unimaginable things like what happened this week still happens. Wars still happen. Viruses and tornadoes and hurricanes, they still happen. We still lose those that we love. And while God doesn't cause evil to happen, He works through the aftermath. He works through what happens to accomplish His plan. And this is His plan. His plan is for the redemption and the restoration of all things back to Himself. It's always been His plan. He wants to see everyone come back to him. This was his plan with Abraham. This was his plan with what happened to Joseph. This was his plan with what happened to Moses. This was his plan with every single threat that we've seen with the church. That he would use these these things that were coming up and the church would just continue to grow and expand and explode. Every time there's a threat against the church, the church just continues to grow. More and more people join the movement of Jesus' followers. And this was his plan with what happened to Stephen. Did God cause Stephen to be stoned? I don't think so. But God used this according to his plan. Because what happens next is, as we just read in those last few verses, the church scatters. Like persecution comes. I mean, it says that the men and women were being imprisoned. The men and women were being imprisoned and killed because of their faith. And the church scatters into Judea and Samaria. And and with the scattering of the church, they're still carrying the good news with them. That's God's plan. It will will be his plan with what happened to Saul or what happens to Saul. The things that we're going to see, not just with the fact that God is using the fact that Saul is persecuting the church right now, but God is also going to convert Saul. 
to be one of his followers and be, one, and be his primary sharer of the good news at that time. And this is his plan with what happens to us as well. I think back to some of the things that Wendy and I have gone through as a couple in our lives. And, you know, I've not always been able to, to like, think this. But as I look back, I can see it. Years of infertility, losing a baby, cancer, losing all of our parents within a very short time span. I mean, I can see now how God has used those awful things to continue his plan. I mean, I'll just take the last five years of cancer. I, I don't know how God is used this or is using this, but I know that we have connections and relationships to doctors and nurses that we never would have had before this. That the way my wife has fought this and continues to be happy and joyful in the midst of this says something to people, that there's something different here. And I've got to believe that that has some kind of impact with God's plan. That he wants everyone to experience him, that he wants everyone to be reconciled with him. We cannot allow the good things in life or the bad things in life distract us from the best thing. And the best thing is to be involved in God's plan to share the good news of what Jesus has done with everyone so they too can experience the life that we have. That's the vision. That's the mission that God has called us to. I, I believe that God is still working through all circumstances, the good and the bad, to accomplish his plan. He wants everyone to have the opportunity to have this restored relationship with him. Let me illustrate it this way. I was blown away by this. And I don't know how true, I'm so, just put it out there. I'm not sure how true or accurate these statistics are, but I, I, I read this. Since the church began, some have estimated that 70 million Christians have died because of their faith in Christ. There have been 70 million martyrs for Jesus. That right now, about 100,000 people a year die for their faith in Jesus. Not, not Christians that die, but die because they are martyred for their faith. They're killed because they profess Jesus. 100,000 people a year. And you want to know why I believe that God is working even in those horrific things, like God has a plan. Do you know where the fastest growing aspect of Jesus followers is? It's in the countries that this is taking place. It's where the church is exploding. In places like the Middle East and in China, where, where Christians are losing their lives for their faith, that the church is just exploding. 
there's a resource that I'm going to recommend that, it, that actually has an app that you can download. I downloaded, downloaded it to my phone this week. It's called Open Door. Um, and you, it will actually send you, if you do push notifications, it will send you a daily notification for a different part of the world that you can pray. That really connects you into what's happening in the global church. It's, there's so much more that's happening in the church than just what happens in this room on a Sunday morning or even in this country. I mean, the worldwide church, God is advancing the gospel. He's spreading the good news to people who have never heard this before. And I think it's great that we can, you know, as a believer, that we can be connected with this, that we can continue to add this to just praying for the, that, that God would continue with his plan through those who are being killed. Please know that, that even when it doesn't seem to be the case, God is in control. And, and he's always working to accomplish his plan, his, his plan to restore as many people as will accept Jesus back to himself. God, God is with us, and God is in us in the person of the Spirit, and he is good, and his way is always perfect. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that all of the Bible points to Jesus, that you have invited us to be a part of that, and you have called us to be a part of sharing this, to part of your plan to restore all that has been lost back to yourself. Father, we know that you are good and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.